we remain standing and pray with me. Father, we are deeply grateful to your kindness that has led us here to this place this morning, and we pray that you would meet us, pour out your spirit upon us, open our hearts to receive your word preached and read, and Lord, allow it to take root in our hearts and produce fruit for your kingdom and for our good and for our flourishing in this world and in the age to come. Do all this through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The sermon is not on the gospel, but I always find that gospel very interesting, as if like it's just a small thing to heal just a few people. You know, he didn't do much there except heal some folks, just a few of them. Anyways, it's always a kind of a comical statement to me. Um, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn uh, with me to Acts chapter 11. We're going to be looking um, at that passage, at that portion of Scripture this morning. Uh, last week we looked at Acts chapter 10 and we saw that God shows no partiality. He does not practice favoritism. And we also saw that this truth about God, this part of his character, that he shows no partiality, no favoritism, that this truth has a significant implication for the church and its mission to spread the good news about Jesus from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And so it's a significant implication for us here in Winston-Salem who are tasked with the same mission to spread the good news about Jesus right here where we live. And this is that implication, that God invites Gentiles, non-Jews, to receive forgiveness in Jesus and to be fully adopted into his family without first becoming Jewish themselves, without being circumcised, without having to obey the, the temple uh, worship, without having to follow uh, the way of life ensconced in the Old, Test Old Testament law or the Torah. We found out last week, God's invitation is for all, where they are and as they are. Now, of course, God doesn't accept everyone as they are. If we respond to that transformation, he transforms us. Or that invitation, he transforms us. And But this practice of inviting non-Jews into God's family without first becoming Jewish reflects a massive shift in thought for the Jerusalem church. You know, I think most of the Jerusalem church this time are only Jews, almost entirely Jews. There's some Christians in Samaria that are Samaritans, and they have an Ethiopian eunuch. But at this point, when we come to chapter 10, the entire church almost entirely is made up of Jewish followers of Jesus. And this truth about God showing no partiality, this implication that he accepts everyone without them first having to become Jewish is profound. It's not easy to digest for them. And we see this reflected in the first verses of chapter 11. Just look there at verses 1 through 3. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, that's a group of the Jewish followers of Jesus who wanted to maintain the Old Testament law for everyone. Those of the Jewish, the circumcision party, criticized him, saying, you went? How, how dare you? You went to a non-Jew? You entered the home of a Gentile and you ate with them. How could you? And Peter responds, recounting the vision that he received three times and the events that led him to Cornelius' home. And, and after telling how the Spirit of God fell on the Gentiles there in Cornelius' home, just as it fell on the disciples at Pentecost, Peter declares in Acts 11, verses 17 and 18, If then God, not, not me, but if then God gave, 
not Peter's giving, but if God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorify God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And now we come to our lesson this morning. Acts chapter 11, which Kevin read for us. And in this passage, Luke begins to shift attention away from just the conversion, the scandalous conversion of one Gentile and his household and those friends that he gathered there to mass Gentile conversions in the city of Antioch. The city of Antioch, mind you, in Syria, is no small city in the ancient world. It was known as the Queen of the East. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. At that time, the best estimates are this city had about 500,000 people living in it. I mean, that's a significant number in the ancient world. It was right behind Alexandria and Rome as the largest cities in the Roman Empire. This was a cosmopolitan city, a meeting place of east and west. We have evidence there of folks from China and India and Persia, as well as Egypt and the, and the area of Palestine, of course. There's Jew, significant Jewish population there. And then there are Greeks and Latins, Romans. This was a cosmopolitan city. And here, for the first time, we see mass conversions of Gentiles. And you've got to think, this, isn't, this is like another moment for the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Right? This church in Jerusalem, largely dominated by Jews, and they're like, what is going on? We thought that there's this one man, Cornelius and his household, that came to Christ, that turned, that kind of shook our world. A whole mess of people coming. We need to send somebody to check this out. And this is exactly what they do. They send Barnabas. And here in Luke's recounting of Barnabas going to check out what's going on in Antioch, he provides for us a framework, a framework for church growth. Now, this isn't like church growth as we might be, I might have been accustomed in the last 30 years, you know, you know skinny jeans and a hip band and, a, you know, all the other accoutrements that go with like, you know, church growth models. Now, this isn't that kind of church growth. It's simply deeply rooted in the character of God and in the work of God and in our response to it. And here's that framework. Three points. Growing churches is God's work. The work of growing churches is essentially the work of encouragement. Encouragement is our work. Let's say that one more time. Growing churches is God's work. The work of growing churches is essentially the work of encouragement. Encouragement is our work. So look with me, if you will, that first point. Growing churches is God's work. In Acts 11, the center of gravity is God. Look at verse 17. God gave. God gave to them the same gift that he gave to us when we believed in, our Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in whose way? God's way. Verse 18. Then to the Gentiles also God has granted. God has granted repentance that leads to life. Verse 20. Who were they preaching? The Lord Jesus, verse 21, and the hand of who? The Lord was upon them, and a great number who believed turned to whom? To the Lord. Verse 22, and he came and saw what? The grace of God. Verse 24, and a great number of people were added to whom? To the Lord. Throughout these seven passages, in short order, Luke makes it really clear who is the driving force, who is the center of gravity 
in growing and in planting churches. It's God himself. God is the one at work. We see the Lord adding to the Lord. He is both the object and the subject, the source and the goal of the mission that he has given the church. He is the totality of it. He's the driving force of it. And we read in chapter 11 that the church in Antioch is founded by the Lord's hand. That is the power of God, which in this case energizing, energizes the preaching of the Lord Jesus that brings people into the family of God and forever transforms them. The church at Antioch has been founded by God's hand, established by his grace, grows numerically by his work, and it is indwelt by his spirit. Stated simply, the church at Antioch is the work of God, not us. If we miss this reality, this major central point about planting and growing churches, we will be planting and growing churches in our own image. Because if God is not the center of gravity in the work that we're attempting to do, if he, if he is not the one doing it and we submit ourselves to it, then we will be trying to grow churches and plant churches that look like us, that resemble us. And God will not be the center of gravity. He will be displaced. So this is so important for us to grasp. We need this down deep in our bones here at Christ Church that God is the one who grows churches. He is the one who plants churches. You see, God plants churches in the most unlikely of places with the most unlikely of people and often in the most unlikely of ways. Who here would have thought five years ago that this church would be participating with two other churches in planting a church in Beckley, West Virginia. Who, would have, who had Beckley on their mind? No one. Unless you were driving across West Virginia to get to Ohio and you went and stopped at the Tamarack to pick up a little artwork. right? No one stops in Beckley. No one has heard of Beckley. But the Lord works in those ways and he has planted a church out of this church with Father Chris there. That's his work. That story is full of God at work. You know, and God works to plant churches, to grow churches using ordinary folks who preach the Lord Jesus. They preach Jesus, and you know what they do? They do Jesus-y like things. That's just what they do. They submit themselves to Jesus in his way of life, and they proclaim and they speak about Jesus and the good news, that he's Lord, he's raised from the dead, he's reigning, and he can be your Savior. This is, of course, what we see in Acts 11, verses 20 and 21. These unnamed, unnamed, ordinary folks who fled the persecution in Jerusalem show up in Antioch, and they do what? They do what Jesus commanded the church to do in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. They tell people about the good news of Jesus. They proclaim the name of Jesus no longer in Jerusalem. They're way past Samaria. They're now out to the ends of the earth. Of course, the ends of the earth are represented there in Antioch with the people that are there. They proclaim Jesus. God takes these ordinary folks and empowers their preaching, their way of life, their actions, and he adds a great many of non-Jews and Jews to his family there in Antioch. 
Christ Church, do not doubt, do not doubt the power of God that can be at work when you speak about Jesus. When you preach Jesus, tell people about Jesus, when you speak of his goodness, when you proclaim the good news about him, that he provides forgiveness, that he loves you, tell people that that God loves them in Jesus and through Jesus, that he has forgiven them, that he has reconciled them to the Father, and that he wants them to come home. This is how new churches are planted, and this is how new people are brought into the kingdom of God. You see, God works through your faithfulness and your boldness to tell others the good news about Jesus. And don't be surprised when something happens when we do that. Because God is at work in and through us to bring about the growth of his church, to start his church in new places, and to bring about the kingdom of God in new people. This is what God is about. Now, it's not just enough, and we know this, it's not just enough to plant churches or to lead people initially to Jesus through faith and repentance It's not just enough to get the ball rolling, to get things started, right? Growing churches is God's work, but growing churches, once they are planted, essentially the work of encouragement. It's centrally about the work of encouragement. Look with me at verse 21 in chapter 11. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So again, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem hear about what's happening in Antioch, and they don't know what to make of it, right? Some of them might be somewhat critical. Some of them might be somewhat surprised. Maybe a few are hopeful, but they don't know what to make of it, so they send a trusted one. And who do they send? They send Barnabas. And this choice of Barnabas is so important. This choice to send Barnabas indicates above all else that they chiefly desired for these new members of God's family, this new church, to be guided and nurtured toward maturity, toward flourishing, towards a community that's deeply connected to God and to one another, reconciled relationships. Ultimately, they desired for them to be encouraged. And who better to encourage them than the one whose nickname is Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Barnabas betrays for us a spirit and faith-filled example of the work of encouragement that is so central to the growth and maturing and deepening of the church and of individuals within it. And Barnabas' example betrays four key aspects to this work of encouragement, which we'll look at now. This first aspect is that the work of encouragement arises from Christ-like character. Look at verses 23 and 24. Barnabas encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For, because, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Barnabas could have arrived there in Antioch and criticized what was going on. We know that that's a, a response of some in the church when the Gentiles turned to Jesus. He could have showed up and could have criticized them. He could have easily fixated on the areas of their lives where they fell short. Right? This is 
I mean, this is a messy group. Like all groups who turn to Jesus, we have messy lives. Things were going on there. There has been easily things that we could have picked out that Barnabas could have identified and fixated on where they fell short in their lives. He could have criticized them for what they ate or drank, for what they wore, for what they did not yet know about God. He could have criticized them for each of these things. That's not what the text says he did. That's not what's emphasized but rather out of a character deeply defined by the Holy Spirit and deeply defined by faith in Christ Jesus, Barnabas encourages these new followers of Jesus, these ex-pagans with messy lives. He encourages them. He encourages them to remain faithful because it's going to be hard. If you can imagine in the ancient world, for a pagan to leave their pagan life and to adopt Jesus, loyalty to King Jesus, was a significant matter. Many of them would have lost their jobs because they were in guilds. Trade guilds were connected to patron deities of those guilds. And when they could not offer worship or sacrifice to those gods, they could no longer participate in the guild. And they would lose their work. Many Jews were ostracized from their families when they came to Jesus. They were kicked out of the synagogues. And for Jews, that was important because that means they lost their safety net in a world of Gentiles, in a world that wasn't Jewish. And they lost family. And so you can imagine, like, this is no easy matter for these folks, whether Jewish or Gentile in Antioch, to turn to Jesus. They need encouragement. He needs to encourage them to remain faithful, to remain loyal to King Jesus. And here's the point. The work of encouragement requires that we give ourselves away for the life of others. This is what Barnabas does throughout Acts. Yet, we cannot give away what we do not have. If encouragement arises from a good person, a person full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith in Christ, we cannot give encouragement if we do not have a life that possesses this deep relationship with the Spirit and is founded upon this deep and abiding faith, this loyal faithfulness to King Jesus. We cannot give away what we do not have. Therefore, it's imperative for us, as followers of Jesus here at Christ Church, to cultivate a, God, a godly character, a Christ-like character, where we grow in virtue in order to become good men and women, good boys and girls. And this requires us to submit to the Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit can manifest itself in our lives. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, to submit ourselves, for our lives to be aligned with the Spirit's work in this world and through us. And then also for our loyalty to Jesus to be strengthened, to be full of faith. So that's the first. The work of encouragement arises from a Christ-like character. Right? We can't give what we do not have. And then second, the work of encouragement sees God's grace at work. And this is so important. If you can think of this encouragement, this work of encouragement, having two foundational pillars. One is Christ-like character. This is the other one. Being able to see God at work. The grace of God at work in the lives of others and around oneself. You see, a mark of Christian maturity is a deep and abiding awareness and familiarity with the evidence with the telltale signs of God's grace at work around us and in others. Barnabas came and he saw the grace of God at work 
there in Antioch. He saw people whose lives were turned upside down when they embraced the good news about Jesus. Right? This wasn't easy. Lives transformed. He saw people whose very character had changed dramatically, who now worshipped the living God instead of lifeless idols or their own twisted and broken desires and passions. Barnabas could have seen all the negatives, all the, the, the massive amount of growth that still lay ahead of these Christians there. He could have emphasized and critiqued them and criticized them for where they still fell short of God's standards, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he sees in them the work of God. And he encourages it. He nurtures it. For us, if we want to be an encouraging people, and we're called to be this, if we want to engage in this work of encouragement, we have to be able to discern the work, the activity, the grace of God in the midst of his people. It's so easy to criticize. It's so easy to identify fault. But what's really hard is to identify the grace of God at work. And what's so powerful when someone who is struggling, because most of us know where we fall short, how powerful it is for someone to come alongside of them and to say, look, look here. You've changed. God's transforming your life. Here. Oh, and over here, look. Your relationships with X, Y, and Z, they're being transformed. They're being changed. God is doing a work in you. Look at his grace at work. Barnabas saw the grace of God at work. But this does not mean that Barnabas did not see the faults in these folks or the many areas of their lives where there needed continued transformation. Barnabas was not blind to their sin or aspects of their lives that they needed to surrender to Jesus. And no doubt he confronted them in these areas as he encouraged them. However, his emphasis was on the grace of God at work in them. You can just imagine him saying, yes, yes, Antiochian believer, you have so much more to learn. You have so much more room to grow, but don't lose heart. Don't lose heart, young Christian. Don't lose heart, struggling Christian. I see the grace of God at work in you. That's a powerful means of encouragement. The work of encouragement requires that we see and make known the grace of God at work in sinful and broken people. We're accentuating what God is already doing. And we want to get behind it. And we want to push it along as best we can. We want to encourage it. We want to be behind that. Those are the first two. The third, the work of encouragement comes alongside others to lift them up. To welcome them into God's family and to point them to Jesus. The work of encouragement comes alongside. That's an important part of it. We come alongside others to lift them up to welcome them into God's family, and then to point them to Jesus. This is what we see throughout Acts in the example of Barnabas. First, to encourage, we come alongside others in material need to help lift them up. In Acts 4, verses 36 and 37, this is the first time we encounter Barnabas. And we see that he does what? Does anyone know what, what we see Barnabas doing first off in Acts 4? 
the first time we come across him, he's selling a field. I can imagine there might have been a really hot real estate market like there is now, and they might have like, well, I don't want to do that and give that all away. But Barnabas does that. He sells a field. He lays at the apostles' feet for the good of the poor in the midst of the congregation. And that's why just earlier there in Acts 4, it says that there was no one in need in this church. One of the ways that we can encourage others is by being radically generous. By giving away the resources that God has given us. And for this type of encouragement to work in our lives, for us to engage in this kind of work, we have to fundamentally see everything that we have as not our own possessions. As not ours to be grasped. But to see it all as the good gifts of God that he has given to us to steward for a time and to further the goodness and the message of his kingdom, the glory of Jesus Christ raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God. That's the work of encouragement when we come alongside others in their poverty and we lift them up. Second, what we see in Barnabas is that to encourage, we come alongside others to welcome them into God's family. Listen to Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 28. And when Saul, that's the Apostle Paul, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, the family. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. And you can imagine why. If you know the story, Saul was doing what after the martyrdom of Stephen? What was Saul doing? He was persecuting. He was throwing in jail, folks. Your sister, your brother, your mom, your dad... Saul was right there banging down the door, throwing them in jail, killing probably some of them. And so you can imagine when Saul walks in the door, they're a little, a little what, afraid. Yeah, I think that's the logical kind of response to that. But they're afraid and they cannot believe that God would save such a person. But what does it say next there in Acts 9? But Barnabas. Barnabas took him. He was willing to touch him. He took him and he brought him to the apostles and declared to them how at Damascus he had preached boldly the name of Jesus. And so he went in and out among them. Paul was received as family among the disciples there in Jerusalem. And you can just imagine Barnabas walking in that day with Saul in tow and saying, Hey Peter, hey James, it's good to see you guys. I wanted to introduce to you my new brother. Saul, you know all about his past. It's written all over your faces, but God's grace is at work in him. But God's grace is at work in him, transforming him, making him new. And who knows, maybe that's why he's called Paul. He needs a new man, needs a new name. But he's making him new. He's transforming him. And he has been boldly and at risk to his own life proclaiming Jesus. Encouragement sees the grace of God at work in unlikely folks. And it welcomes them into God's family. The third thing we see in Barnabas' life about coming alongside others to encourage them is that to encourage, we come alongside others to point them to Jesus. Now we return to Acts 11, and we see this final example of Barnabas 
And he has seen here the grace of God at work in the lives of these folks in Antioch. And what does he do? And we're not just reading these things as encouragement. It literally says he encouraged them to do what? To remain faithful. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Be faithful to Jesus with a steadfast purpose, with a single-mindedness. Stay faithful to Jesus. Look at him. Keep your eyes on him. The work of encouragement requires that we come alongside others in the midst of their struggles and difficulties and even in the midst of their successes and joys and point them to Jesus because in both we need to see Jesus all the time. We might come beside someone and say, I know you're hurting. I know you're in pain right now, but look to Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows your pain He is the great high priest who knows what it is to go through a human life, all the pain, all the tragedy. He has suffered it already. He feels your pain. He knows, and he can heal you. I know you're doing really well in your career, but look to Jesus. Don't forget that everything you have and all this success is the result of God's gracious goodness to you. All that you have is gift. Look to Jesus. You see, we encourage others when we come alongside them and we point them to Jesus. The work of encouragement requires that we come alongside the poor to lift them up. This is what we see Barnabas doing in Acts 4. To come alongside the outcasts to welcome them into the family of God. This is what we see Barnabas doing with Saul in Acts 9. And it requires us to come alongside others to point them to Jesus. No matter where they are, no matter the difficulty or the success that they're experiencing in that moment, we're always to encourage others by pointing them to Jesus. And now we come to that fourth aspect of encouragement. Finally, the work of encouragement connects gifts to needs. It connects gifts to needs. Look at Acts 11, verses 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught many people. The work of encouragement involves recognizing the ways that God has uniquely gifted people in the church and connecting them to other people in the church who need to receive those gifts. Barnabas is not omnitalented. He cannot be everything and present and give need or meet the needs of everyone in the church and neither can you neither can I the work of encouragement connects gifts with needs and this means that you can't just stay on the outside of a church if you want to engage in this work of encouragement you have to be in the dirty middle in the life of a church getting your elbows dirty rolling your sleeves up and doing the work of encouragement and that begins with knowing the people in your church Barnabas knew Saul. He'd been an advocate for Saul for a long time now. He knew his giftings, and he knew that this church in Antioch needed those gifts. You know, see, Barnabas was catching on to something Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 when he uses the body as an image for the the church. And Paul says that each person in the church has been uniquely gifted by God, has a unique role within this church to provide something, you know, ears, mouths, noses, they all contribute something very uniquely to the body. 
Each one of you has been uniquely gifted by God to provide what is lacking or what is needed in the next person beside you. We're a, we're a, a gathered organism in one sense that God creates. And a part of this work of encouragement is connecting gifts to needs in the body of Christ. That's such an important work. Barnabas knew that Saul was gifted. That's a humble move, too. Barnabas was gifted enough. He could have easily tried to be the pastor or lead this church in this massive cosmopolitan city with this huge congregation now, but no, he gives it up. He calls, he calls Saul, he calls Paul to come lead this work and to come and teach. Encouraging others by connecting gifts to needs will require us, require us to know one another well. So, growing churches is God's work. The work of growing churches is essentially the work of encouragement. Those four things that we saw. And now finally, encouragement is our work. We don't need to say anything more than that last verse we heard in 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The work of encouragement belongs to each one of us. It's not reserved for a special class of folks in the church. It is a work that each of us are called to do to encourage the person beside us. And this is the way that God will grow his church. So far throughout Acts, we've been looking a lot at the outward-facing mission into the world. Here we see that in order for the church to thrive, to grow internally, it has to have this robust work of encouragement that God calls each of us to. And may he equip each of us for that work. I pray that you take it on as your responsibility and your duty in the midst of this congregation to encourage one another. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Will you please?